Yes, we set up the hammocks. I get bitten to shit. <laughs> I've got these like bullseyes on my leg where the mosquitoes like bitten through my trousers. And then um, my mate's on the phone to his girlfriend. She's going, "You've just googled it. Mm. There's a whole this whole ritual of scarlet robed like cults that snatch people out of this wood. Oh, good. Like wanderers. If you wander in at night, you get snatched." He's telling me this, and he's losing his mind because <laughs> he's a very reactive person. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you want in this kind of and situation? It's a full moon. Oh, good. Just to add to the mystery, and it's a slight breeze, so like all the fauna, it, it's just it's just moving. Mm. And he's going, um, and he's. The, I, I get the, really angry and I'm scared, <laughs> so I'm just pissed off. <laughs> Sat there with my I've got a knife. Uh, just above my head, like in one of the pockets, mm. trying to sleep. And he's going, um, Lad, Lad, I can see. There's a light. There's a light coming out the bushes. It's getting close. I think it's a man. Wait. Oh, no, no. It's a lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> shit like this. I'm just like, Let, shut up. Oh. Shut up, shut up. Hey up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser-known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... Are you now... Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) ...story, right. (laughs) Okay. Well, this story for you tonight... Yes. ...begins in the Victorian era. It's another Victorian one. And the three words... They're going to set you up for this journey that we're about to go on. Sheep. Yeah. Lifeboat. Mm-hmm. Explosion. I'm excited. <laughs> it, I'll never... Uh, no. We ask me to guess every time, don't we? But And unusually for our stories, this does not begin in England. We begin across the ocean on the outskirts of Baja Blanca. Casablanca. Baja of Bahai Blanca, um, a coastal city in Argentina, because it was here in this coastal city in Argentina that two Irish immigrants called William and Catherine Jessup had decided to start both a sheep farming business, uh, possibly as a front for William to just be socially accepted in wearing a sombrero, because he definitely did yeah. wear a sombrero, and to start a family as well. Perfect place. And on the 2nd of October, 1887, Catherine succeeded in birthing a girl. (laughs) First, first little girl that they had. They named her Violet. And over the next 16 years, the Jessops managed to bring a further eight children into the world. Though three of these would die in infancy. Even Violet herself, the firstborn, she developed a case of tuberculosis so bad that the local doctors said that it was definitely fatal. (laughs) But she got better. Oh, of course. Yeah, and it was an early sign that death would find it pretty difficult to claim Violet. Is this the story of Violet? It is the story of Violet, oh, yeah. She's going to overcome so much. Yeah. she Well, she was ill in some form or another her entire life. <laughs> but it never stopped her carrying on with whatever it was she wanted to do at the time. But anyway. You're going to go into that? Yes, of course. Okay. No, the story stops here. Yeah. Uh, so the Jessops are having a child every two years. And unfortunately, such a strenuous schedule of making children proved to be too much. Not for Violet. For William. Oh. Uh, William Jessup died in Mendoza, Argentina, 
a city that was 1,072 kilometres or 666 miles from his home. He'd been sent there specifically because it was felt that they had the expertise to help him recover uh, from his illness. Um, Why did you... What was with the 666? I just thought it was interesting that he... 666. I thought there was going to be a link to the devil here. No, unfortunately not. I just found it amusing. Right. Um, But it was all in vain, and Catherine was left alone to look after six remaining children. What did he die of? Uh, His penis fell off. (laughs) I think it was heart disease, actually. It was either heart disease or cancer. It was something sort of malingering and slow. And he was sent to this clinic in Mendoza because he said, we've, it'll be fine, we've got specialists. And almost as soon as he arrived, he dropped dead. Uh, the doctors don't know much at this point, do they? Same Violet's definitely going to die. Yeah. He'll definitely get better. The devil's around somewhere for some reason. <laughs> well, it's it's... Yeah, it's it's the earlier stages of sort of modern medicine as we know it. You know, the... There are some breakthroughs, but things like cancers is still pretty much a crapshoot. Is it a bit like cold reading? <laughs> you know, you just you just say something with enough confidence. Yes, we will send you to the mountains of Mendoza for the air there has a quality. And you will survive. Yeah. And then for the fifty percent that do survive. Oh yeah, the Yeah, it's true then, isn't mm. it? You forget about the others. So Catherine, the mum, she's left now alone to look after six remaining children probably with quite a lot of help from the now 16-year-old Violet. So she's she's stepping into the breach there and helping with childcare duties. In fact, she was so good at looking after the children that when the family moved from Argentina to London via a livestock ship called the Burgundy, so they, they came home while living amongst cows, which was nice. Must have been a, a fun way to travel from Argentina to Britain oh, across gosh. the Atlantic in with the cows. Uh, Catherine was happy to leave Violet. You just drink milk the whole way. Well, you hope they were left with the cows and not the bulls, don't you? That You're would like, be a more violent. Some would say this was going to be a horrible journey. I'm going to look at this as an opportunity. An opportunity to get my calcium intake right up. And from that point on, she had bones as strong as iron. So, Catherine... And kidney stones. The mum got them set up in London and then immediately took a job as a stewardess on the ships of the Royal Mail Line. Uh, She liked to work a route from Southampton to Buenos Aires in Argentina uh, and Trinidad. Uh, These round trips uh, were time between 10 and 14 days at a time. The way you said immediately made it sound like she got off the cow ship and immediately stepped, she didn't even step onto the land. Well, she she got them set up in lodging houses and then immediately went to get a stewardess role. Okay. So it was pretty, pretty quick. Uh, So she'd be gone for up to two weeks at a time. Uh, which, as you can imagine, put quite a lot of pressure on Violet to continue looking after the children. This put quite a lot of pressure on Violet, who was supposed to be attending a convent school at the time. Though she did get a little bit of respite when some of her brothers were placed in an orphanage. That's lucky. So things are going well. Uh, Inevitably, such a hectic schedule proved to be too much for Catherine. Uh, She became ill and could no longer work as a stewardess. So dad's dead, mum can't work. What's she got? Uh, I can't remember. It didn't say. It just said she was ill. So she was. She didn't die. She was just not able to... It might have been a really bad case of seasickness, which I imagine would be, you know, pretty... Um, oh, that's horrific. Have you ever had seasickness? I haven't had seasickness. Oh, that's the worst joke. <laughs> but it, it wouldn't work for a stewardess to have seasickness. So it fell to Violet to step up in order to provide for the family. 
and she did this by following in her mother's footsteps and becoming a stewardess on the Royal Mail Line ships. This wasn't an easy, uh, <laughs> this wasn't an easy thing to pull off, as even the interviewer tried to put her off getting the job, saying she was far too pretty. But the family needed the money, so she shrugged off these concerns for the princely sum of two quid a month. You know, what could that buy you? How, it many, was how in, many Toblerones? It was enough to pay for the lodging, house and food. Although when I say food, I mean they were stretching. The benefit for Violet was she would be fed on the ship, so she at least was getting a good good bit of scranning. Her first ship was a little steamer called the Orinoco, Ooh. sailing for New York via the West Indies. This was lucky for Violet as she was deathly afraid of the direct North Atlantic crossing and the big ships in general. She didn't like big ships. Phobias were different back then. Yeah. She was she, very specific. Yeah, she was very afraid of that that crossing because it was one where a lot of ships went down. It was it got very choppy. She was deathly afraid of drowning. It was quite chilly, and coats were yeah. not as efficient as they are now. I think it, I think it was probably more the fact that she didn't want to drown in an icy sea that yeah, was the main concern for be, her. Could be the coats. It could be the coats. We'll we'll find out about her views on coats. Don't worry. Uh, they almost immediately. Oh, this is on the Orinoco, taking the easier route. Uh, hit stormy weather, and all of the passengers' cabins flooded. Oh, which was which was good. Uh, but there was a positive for Violet on this trip. She wasn't dead. On well, n- she wasn't dead, and she met an engineer named Ned, who she quickly became besotted with. With a name like that, yeah. He blew quite hot and cold, uh, and most of their interactions consisted of Ned mocking her for being a Catholic. She spent nearly two years trying to convince him to ask her on a date. I've never heard he blew hot and cold. Meaning what, what his mood was yeah, quite Yeah, sometimes he'd seem really amiable and like he, he wanted to spend time with her and other times he'd be very dismissive um, and just want to get on with his work because he was an engineer and he really loved his engine. Right. He was He was very proud of it. A lot of the interactions these two had were him sort of... Talking at her about engine yeah, parts. being really pleased that she would stay and listen to him talk about engines. Where she was thinking, well, if I show interest, maybe he'll reciprocate and ask me something. And he never really did. He just continued to talk about engines. I can see why uh, she's so um, into him. So she spent two years trying to get him to ask her on a date. It didn't work. Then she was dismissed by the captain for being too flirty. Which was an odd reason to give, considering he had tried to sleep with Violet. Yeah. The captain. And she'd rebuffed him. Right. So she spent two years trying to trying to get acquainted with an engineer and then the captain decided he wanted to sleep with her, she said no, and she was fired for being too flirty. Yep, no, that makes sense. Does, to it, me. does that work for you? Yep. Yep. Perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Move on. Uh but luckily she was able to find more work almost immediately with the White Star line. Stop saying immediately. Okay, but luckily she was able to find more work quite soon afterwards with the White Star Line, a shipping company that specialised in nice big ships and that regularly ran the express North Atlantic route direct to America. Violet was not best pleased with this turn of events. No, it's her phobia. She started out on a ship called the Majestic and was so good at catering for the passengers that within three months she had been promoted from second-class stewardess to first-class stewardess. Yeah. She got to work with the, the big wigs, the top knobs. Yeah. Were hers to look after. Even better... Did when she the, get paid more? 
I believe you did. You'd hope so. Mm. You have to put with them knobheads. I believe tips were a thing as well, so obviously you're getting more money from passengers who are happy with the way that you worked, which right. is lovely. Uh, and even better, when the White Star Line were looking for crew for their brand new, even bigger Olympic-class ships, the first one was unimaginatively called the Olympic, Ooh. Violet was given a berth. She was going to be part of that maiden crew. And the first four voyages on this massive ship went absolutely fine. And she was starting to think her mistrust of these big ships was completely unfounded. You know, she's she's living in absolute luxury. This is the creme de la creme of Nothing's ocean liners. No. During the fifth voyage, on the 20th of September, 1911, the Olympic was sailing next to HMS Hawk, which was a cruiser-class warship with the Royal Navy. Per chance. Yeah, they're just running alongside each other. Right. All fine. Right. Then the Olympic decided it needed to make a turn. Did it or did the captain? Okay, the captain of the Olympic decided they need they need to be going slightly to the right of where they're going. They need to just turn slightly. Rather unwisely, the captain thought it'd be okay to cut across the hawk. Thought he had enough space. Yeah. This resulted in the hawk's bow, which had been specifically designed for ramming other ships. Uh, <laughs> hit the Olympic amidships so right in the centre dead on not surprisingly this caused lots of damage so much so that when the Olympic limped back to Southampton they were forced to take parts fabricated for another planned Olympic class ship called the Titanic in order that it could return to service as soon as possible Right. unfortunately despite the bodge job the Olympic kept breaking down and had to return to dry dock several times. Uh, Violet, by this point, sure that this ship was cursed. Uh, and she asked for a transfer to another ship. And we all see where this is going, Yeah, don't well, we, luckily listeners? for her, the White Star Line had just finished construction... Of Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> ...on the Titanic. So, at the age of 24, on April the 10th, 1912... Violet was settling into her brand new cabin with her good friend Anne Turnbull on a ship that was unsinkable. And it was so luxurious and lovely and homey that the ship's cat, Jane, immediately, I'm using that word again, gave birth to a litter of kittens. Immediately. Mm. They put that cat on the ship and it was like, oh, this is lovely. Yeah, this is where I'm I'm going to birth these cats. Can we just pause? And I mean, like, we'll just sit here. And let the clock go round for an hour and a half. Why people watch Titanic? <laughs> no. Okay. People can pause it themselves, I think, if if that's what they want to do. So, but over the first four days, the biggest talking point amongst the crew was a pair of newlyweds who were averaging one big quarrel a day. This is in Violet's diary. Um, luckily, their unhappy marriage was not destined to last much longer. On the evening of Why? Sunday, the 14th of April, Violet was in her bunk reading a copy of Tatler, high-class swanky magazine, when she recalled a prayer card she'd been given by an old Irish lady who had insisted that it would protect her against fire and water. Now she's is the same with like, the doctor's advice, yeah. isn't it? Well, she should have stuck with the Tatler because as soon as she got the prayer card out, there was a crash followed by... She got a paper cut. No. The end. The sound of a massive crash followed by, and this is a direct quote from her diary, a low-rending, crunching and ripping sound. Yeah. 
Violet found everything eerily calm when she left to see what happened. After all, the ship couldn't sink. So she helped some passengers into life vests, uh, and then she returned to her cabin to fold her nightclothes. It took a porter named Stanley to force her to accept that the ship was sinking and that she needed to be out on deck to get into a lifeboat. Stanley himself, unfortunately, having convinced her to get a coat on and piss off. What kind of coat? It was a thick wool coat. Uh, decided, well, Stanley knew the score. He knew that he was a bloke and that he was a member of the crew and that there weren't enough lifeboats. So he returned to his post uh, and remained there. He never actually went up uh, to, the, to the deck. You should, have gone down and, you should have gone down to where she'd fold in at night clothes and <laughs> put them on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can finally be myself. Uh, so out on deck, it was just as calm as before right up until the point that the distress rockets got fired into the air and suddenly everything became a lot more dramatic. So when she first came out onto the deck, everyone was kind of milling around, not really knowing what to do until one of the crew took it upon themselves to say, actually, let's send the SOS out, lads. This this ain't this ain't going well. Yeah. Um, men started trying to jump into boats that were being lowered into the water. So as the first lifeboats full of women and children were going down, you got blokes just flinging themselves off the side of the ship to try and land in the right place could you place yourself mentally in that position like where would get past what you'd hope you'd do what do you think you'd do oh the cat's here i think to be honest immediately it's gonna have kittens i know it's just showing me it's arsehole (laughs) i think generally i'd like to think that i would be stoic and calm but i i i think i'd probably turn into a gibbering wreck i don't i don't think i'm strong enough or powerful enough to kind of force myself onto a boat and in hindsight, I think, you know, you'd like, in any situation like this, you'd like to think that you would be heroic or that you would be, you'd behave the way that, you know, society expected. But you'd just be pushing children's yeah. faces out of the way. Probably. Yeah. Until I had to be restrained by crew members and then I'd bite them. That's awful, Joe. Yeah. I'd probably be helping everybody mm. and then well, and then joining in with the band. That's, that's that's where you're up to. You know, that's the difference between us, isn't it? You're... The cucaracha. <laughs> it goes down. Uh, but there also started to be crushes to get into the remaining boats because people could quickly see that... I mean, the crew knew there weren't enough, but the people on board could quickly see that they weren't all going to be getting on a lifeboat. Um, Violet herself, having helped people into boats, was finally ordered into lifeboat 16 and was then thrown a baby to look after. Uh, she watched as the Titanic sank lower in the water. Sorry, I'm so distracted by the cat on the table. Mm. One sec, Joe. Because Emma told me that it bites. <laughs> yeah. so. Oh, God, this should be a video podcast. You just pushed it unsuccessfully. <laughs> Where were we? From her position in the lifeboat, she watched as the Titanic sank lower in the water. Only five decks of the six were visible. Then only four decks were visible. I can see where this is going. Then a funnel fell off and the whole thing lurched and sank without a trace into the depths. The survivors were picked up by the Carpathia. uh, Carpathia. Carpathia. Not Carpathia. The Carpathia the following day, which brought the survivors to New York. The surviving crew were paid full wages for the trip which was nice, as usually wages stopped at the point at which a ship sank. Right. So in terms of the... Thought this is terrible enough. Yeah. And because they didn't have to pay the wages of half the crew.
crew that died. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they probably still made money. Well, not made money, but they didn't lose money on giving them the extra wages. Yeah. Or do you have to pay the w- widows? I think there was a stipend that you'd have There's to pay. There's a clause. Mm. Well, you sign, the, you sign the ship's articles, don't you? So you, you sign a thing that sets all of this out. Um, but the Daily Telegraph also gave each crew member £25 for their bravery. And when they returned to Southampton, the mayor of Southampton summoned them to his, his offices to give them a tenner each. And a kiss on the head. And, Optional. Well, it was a good good thing that these people were giving them the extra money because they would now be expected to buy new uniforms from their own funds because obviously all the uniforms they had are now at the bottom of the Atlantic. So they had to buy new uniforms before they could you know, go back into circulation on the on the other White Star ships. Nice. The mayor then found out about the money that the newspapers had given to the crew and promptly asked for his tenor back from all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the Which depths, must the have depths been, of people. It must have been an awkward conversation because I'm, I'm assuming he he recalled them to his office. It's like that, that ten pounds. I, I was unaware that you'd already been compensated by the Daily Telegraph. They didn't do it though, did? Mm-hmm. They didn't go and give the money back. Oh, yeah, Violet had to give the money back. But only the £10. She got to keep the wages and she kept um, the money from the Telegraph. Too yeah. honest. What, well, they're not going to send people out to come find you so. on, for a gift? No, she got mugged off. Well, she, she was too honest for her own good then. She's she the, went back. She's not the brightest button. Well, I mean, she was probably still in shock. You know... She was expecting to just do the normal thing that she was doing and instead she'd been hailed as a hero despite, in her own words, she hadn't done anything. And then she was brought back to a hero's welcome to Southampton. You'd think she'd be liberated and clear-minded because her only phobia, well, one of her two phobias, well, both phobias were tested. Yeah. and she's This crossing, and she survived it and she was wearing a decent coat. So... um she was back to work within two weeks of the inquest. Uh, she said she needed to or she would have lost her nerve. So she, she'd she faced her fears, but she needed to get right back on that horse. Otherwise, she'd never get back on a boat again. She knew herself well enough. And then things started to turn around because she received a call from Ned. Boring fucking Ned. Engineer Ned, her, her super non-boyfriend, he suggested... She come over to Australia as it was amazing in Australia. He'd emigrated. He was living in Australia. He was loving it. She should definitely come for a visit sometime. It's lovely. Violet decided to take him up on that offer straight away. Transferred to P&O. Immediately. Yeah. She transferred herself to P&O from White Star in order to work a route that took her to Sydney. And this was within months of him making that offer to her. Unfortunately... He had not been asking her to come to start a relationship like she believed and actually seemed surprised that she came at all. <laughs> what do you expect? I think it was more of a, oh, I heard that, you, you know, he felt a bit guilty about the way they'd left things, uh, you know, and he wanted to send a message saying, oh, well, I'm glad you survived. I'm thinking of you. I'm in Australia now. It's super. You'd love it. And she, oh, she... read that as, I want you to come and be with me. And that was yes. Bring a piston. Mm. <laughs> so she she left a few days later, heartbroken. So she did turn up, and he took her for a trip up to the Blue Mountains, just outside of Sydney, which is a lovely place. But he was like literally 
abandoning her as much as he could with his mother while he went off and worked in his, his workshop. Yeah. Because he's still all about the greased pistons. <laughs> that's that's his thing. Uh, her only further romantic dalliance was a marriage in the 1920s that was so short, no records exist at all. She made it up. Well, possibly. But it's 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 said that she got married but you can't find any evidence of that and she it is a case of she got off a ship and immediately got married well she immediately must, got a divorce she must have done because she was back on that ship on. two weeks later and she wasn't married right <laughs> so she got off an unmarried woman two weeks later she'd apparently been married but was again an unmarried woman and got back on the ship is this from her own diary entry yeah yeah this right. is from her um when the first world war started Violet joined the voluntary aid detachment in order to support the cause. Where are all the brothers in that? Are they all just in orphanages? And, well, and been by this point, up? they'd be grown up and they'd be doing their own things. Yeah. So she's, you know, she started out funding the family, but now a lot of them are self-sufficient. So this is, you know, that's the reason she could look to emigrate with Ned. Yeah. Because she she wasn't needed as that resource anymore at this point. I believe Mum was dead by this point as well. Catherine has kicked the bucket here. Okay. So she joined the VAD. Uh, they took one look at her employment record and decided she would be su- suited to work as a stewardess on a hospital ship. Fair enough. Go with what you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And really luckily for her, they just converted the third Olympic-class ship, because there were only ever three, the Britannic into the most luxurious hospital ship ever. So she's going back onto the Olympic line. What's a hospital ship? It's exactly what it sounds like. I've never heard of... It was to take wounded... As far as I I understand it, it was to take wounded soldiers across oceans. Right. To repatriate them and such. Right, okay. So we've got the most luxurious hospital ship... It's the third of three Olympic-class ships. She's now served on all three, so she's completed the set. You've had the Olympic. Yep. Titanic. The Titanic. And, the and now the Britannic. Then, on the morning of the 21st of November, 1916, there was an unexplained explosion, and the Britannic started sinking into the Aegean Sea. Sabotage. Violet was used to disasters at this point, uh, and made her way to a lifeboat, you know, totally nonplussed. Uh, unfortunately, as the ship was sinking, it brought the propellers to the surface and they started sucking lifeboats under the stern. Oh, that is so terrifying. Violet had to abandon the lifeboat and suffered what was described as a traumatic head injury in the process to stop herself from being dragged under. Uh, and I always thought that in you know, the Titanic film, mm. you know, when it goes under, mm. that that amount of mass sinking in, I always thought people get sucked in with it. You know, if he's floating around on top and that, um, you know, how big the Titanic was falling yeah, under yeah. the under the sea. Yeah, it would... The current it would, isn't surely going to drag people. Drag people down with it, yeah. But in this case, I, I don't know if they were reversing because if, if you turn the screws into reverse, obviously they're pulling water yeah. towards it. So if it was in reverse when it got hit and those things were suddenly exposed, they'd just be dragging things towards them. Oh, God. They're really powerful. You... You get um, this thing that happens very rarely, but it has happened where you get vertical wrecks where if they were going under full sail and then they start, you know, they sink rapidly. The engines, if they're still running, will dive down and essentially it'll act like a submarine and it will screw it into the floor 
of the seabed to the point where they're now just left stood up with the uh, engines at the sort of closest to the surface and the the bow of the ship just driven into the into the silt. So there are a few of those wrecks around the world that you can go and see. Should you wish to? I would like to see that. So traumatic head injury, but she was not ble- she wasn't in a massive sort of nautical blender. So that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, but following the end of the war, she was back to working for the White Star Line because despite it all, Violet needed money. She's only like 20 something. Yeah, and she was considered an amazing stewardess. Throughout all of this, she was I'd say she's quite cursed. Well, she might be cursed, but she was also really good. All of the if passengers I went loved it, her. Right, so hiya Violet, shake her hand. Uh, yeah, just have a seat then. So I'm just looking through your records. Every ship you've been on has had some horrible end. Mm-hmm. I think it's you. <laughs> Is it you? Is it you, Violet? Is it your fault? Ah, well. She would later work on the SS Bell... <sighs> end. <laughs> Wait a minute. She would later work on the SS Belgian Land. Belgian Land? Belgian Land. B-E-L-G-E-N-L-A-N-D. No, because it'll give you the other. Belangia. Violet would later work on the SS... Belangia. Violet would later work on the SS... I was was waiting for you to do it that time. Oh, right. (laughs) Let's let's get this in. So, Violet would later work on the SS... Belangia. A ship famous for being the one Albert Einstein went AWOL from in order to renounce his German citizenship. And as it wasn't a White Star ship, she wasn't involved in a sinking on it. <laughs> uh, in fact, she worked for another 30 years as a stewardess, travelling around the world with no further issues. So I'm, I'm not so sure it was that she was cursed. I think it was that the White Star Line, but specifically the Olympic class ships were cursed. Mm. And she just had the misfortune of being constantly three. posted to these ships. Violet would retire in 1950 after a career spanning over a total of 40 years and three disasters. She spent a happy 21 years in Great Ashfield, which wisely was 33 miles away from the sea. So once she was done with the sea, she was done with the sea. She was making sure that even high tide, there's no chance she's going to have to see it again. Uh, Before dying of congestive heart failure at the age of 83. Dang, of drowning in the bath. Well, it could have happened. I mean, she might have had a heart attack in the bath and just... Bloop, bloop, bloop. It's how she would have wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. So there you are. That is Violet Jessup, who survived three disasters. So it is Irish history podcast this week. Well, loosely speaking, I mean, I know she was Irish, but she lived in England for most of her life. These ships were all run by an English shipping company. She fought in the war. No, I think you've run out of stories. I'm no a good it. story, but I, I don't think it's applicable to this podcast. I think it's. I think it's a lovely story. You lost three followers <laughs> based upon based upon the, <laughs> the story not being quite contextually right for yeah. for the podcast that we do. Fair enough. This is not what I expected, but. It's quite an interesting thing that she ended up on all three of those ships at the times of those disasters. Aye. And survived them all. I mean, come on. 
That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Give her some credit. Woman was a survivor. I like Someone how she was like... chronically ill throughout her entire life. And we didn't even cover most of that. The fact that while she was on board these ships, she was constantly... That was it. Like, you say chronically ill, but we didn't go into any of it. No. So... She had tuberculosis. Well, she had... Tuberculosis re- As a child, was... she had constant lung infections. She would get infections from anything. She had stomach complaints. Tickly most of coughs. her Most of her diary entries start with visiting the ship's doctor. You know, it's it's one of those... You would call her a hypochondriac, but every single time there was something wrong with her. She spent so much time confined to her bunk that the time, the fact that all of these, you know, staff and all of the amazing that people even hired her. The fact that the the passengers loved her is testament to how how strong her personality was because they'd only see her once every five days. She was just so good on that day. They're like, oh, when's Violet going to be back? It's almost like rarity bred, you know, the value of her. She mixes with so many people on the day she does work. She ends up with all these infections. Yeah. Either that or she might be like a typhoid Mary where she's just a a host for all of these infections. (laughs) She goes out and sees everyone for one day and then everyone goes downhill. Yeah, super spreader. Yeah, she could be. Yeah. We never looked into that. that was the story of the first super spreader. Oh, and I should also point out Ned himself... The, the true hero of this story, Ned, the engineer... He's still alive. ...is still tinkering with um, engines um, and bits of hydraulics in his little shed somewhere in Rocket. New South Wales. Yeah. Happily. He's a happy bachelor. Yes. Completely asexual. Hasn't aged. Not a day. No. Oh, he keeps himself well lubricated. He's He's okay. Yeah. It's WD-40, it'll solve any problem, even ageing. <laughs> Just a little bit of WD-40 on the joints. You're good to go another day there, Ned. That was great. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bit delirious, we're tired. <laughs> good. 